You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, what's up, friends? My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Refuge. As always, no matter what time, no matter what day you're joining us, just want to take a second to say welcome. You could be doing anything else right now, whether Sunday morning or... Thursday night, you can do anything else, but you're with us, and I want to say thank you for that. I want to say we appreciate you very, very much. And so if you're new with us, Refuge is a church plant in Southeast Austin. We exist to make disciples of Jesus that shape our communities with the love of Jesus. We believe Jesus, his message, his life, his power changes people's lives. And that change brings very real change to our communities. If you want to be a part of that change, if you want to be a part of that change for your own life or in our communities, I encourage you, click the connect link in the video description. Let us know. We would love to share more about our vision with you. Uh, let us know how, or, or let you know, I should say, how you can get involved. Uh, just get to know you, learn how to pray for you, all that good stuff, just by clicking that connect link in the video description. And so we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again so much for joining us. Um, hey, before we jump in, I also want to say thank you. Man, it's been two weeks since I've gotten to be with you. So I, I got to get all the thank yous, all the I missed yous out right now. Thank you to our launch team members who make this possible each and every week. Our online gathering would not be possible without you guys. I want to say thank you. I want to say love you. Each and every one of you, my brothers, my sisters, give yourself a round of applause. Right now, just where you are. Just where you are. Appreciate y'all. Love you. Now, on to the task at hand that we have today. Um, it, you know what time it is. My favorite time of the week. I hope it's becoming one of your favorite times of the week. It is time for us to dive into the scriptures, into the God, the word of God, uh, asking him to, to speak to us today. And this week, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, as you've kind of already seen for the past few weeks, we're doing what we call standalone sermons. So that's just sermons that aren't associated with any teaching series, but they're coming off of my heart or Sean or other pastors' hearts who you've been receiving from for the past couple of weeks. And these sermons, they're just aimed at us loving, serving, leading our church, leading refuge, our community of faith, uh, really in the way that God's speaking to us and to our heart right now. And so this week, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and be continuing those standalone sermons, and, and we're going to do something uh, even more touchy, right? Okay, just brace yourself. We're going to be just diving deep into the unspeakables this week, because most of you have already heard some type of phrase that goes something like, don't talk about religion or politics. And almost each and every week, we all talk about religion. But this week, we have the unique pleasure of talking about both religion and politics. That's right. We're talking about the election coming up this week. And no, before you freak out, don't worry, okay? It's not going to be uh, an endorsement of one party or the other, nor is it going to be a smear campaign of one candidate or anything like that. The goal today is for us to approach Scripture with one desire and with one goal, and that's to humble our hearts, okay? Uh, to humble our hearts. On Tuesday night or Wednesday morning or whatever day the state officials finish counting out ballots, we're going to know one way or the other who is going to be the next president of the United States for the next four years. And though most general election years feel important, I think all of us can agree uh, that this one seems even heavier than normal. I've heard it said, I'm sure you've heard it said, that this year the soul of America is on the ballot. And though I, I won't affirm or deny that, what I will say is that most of us have felt the burden, the heaviness 
of what that statement's trying to communicate. Uh, most of us can agree that there's an extra weight to what's going to happen on Tuesday. A, a lot of hope, a lot of fear, a lot of anger, uh, a lot of things that a lot of us are bringing to the plate, some of which is healthy, but a lot of which I'm afraid is actually unhealthy. Um, the most unhealthy aspect in my estimation may be what this season and what this upcoming week has the potential to do uh, to relationships that should be built on something bigger and deeper uh, than just politics. What do I mean? Let me say it like this. For some of us, uh, if we leave our political beliefs and opinions unchecked, it can easily drive a wedge between us and people that we are called to either uh, be united to in our faith or people we are called to seek and serve in order uh, to be a part of our mission. I'm going to say that again. For many of us, if we leave our political beliefs unchecked, it can easily drive or they can easily drive a wedge between either people that we are called to be united to in our faith or people that we are called to humbly seek and serve in our mission. And hear me, there is no in-between in that, guys. If you are a Christian, when you look out into the world that's in front of you, there is either brothers and sisters that you are called to be united with in Jesus or there are men and women who you are called to humbly serve in order for them to come to know Jesus. That's it. There's no in-between. Okay, there, there's no in-between space. There's no exceptions. It's that binary. It's that zero one. It's that white black. It is either that or either this. There is no in-between here. Yet in this season, and especially in this climate, it's easy for even us as Christians to look at each other with a heart and feelings that begin to categorize people in all these different ways that aren't one of those two ways, specifically in a way uh, that de demonizes or uh, kind of deifies someone's political belief, whether you're in that political party or that political party or this political party, not that there's like a really major third one. But anyway, um, and let me tell you, that belief, that categorization oftentimes leads us uh, to a sense of combativeness to a, to a combativeness, to a sense of competitiveness that neither serves our call to be united with people nor our call to mission. That sense of combativeness, that sense of competitiveness doesn't serve us in our call to unity nor does it serve us in our call to mission. And so what do we do? Do we just kind of withdraw altogether from engaging in civic life? Do we not vote whatsoever? Do we not talk about it? No, we can't do that. We are meant to be active in the civic life of where we live, of where we are. We are called to be in the, the city, in the world, in the country, in the culture that we're in, yet we are likewise at the same time called to be not of it. Hear me again, it, we're called to be in this city, in this country, in this world, yet we're called to be not of it. It's that simple idea that, that gives us oftentimes so many difficulties, especially during seasons like this, especially in a climate politically like this. And so today, what I want to do is I want to approach the scriptures with an open heart, 
with an open mind, asking the Lord to give us direction on how to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, how to foster loving relationships, how to, how to fight against division, all while still participating in the political and civic life that we're called to participate in, but, but also seems to try to drag us away from this lifestyle of honoring God. It's a big challenge. And let me say that I want to try to do it today to the best of my abilities. We're going to be a little bit quicker today, I think, because this is either like an hour-long sermon or a 30-minute sermon. It feels like there's no really in, real in-between here. Uh, and so we're going to try to get stick to that 30-minute mark, but brace yourselves. I'm just kidding. Um, to do this today, we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to work our ways through verse one, uh, verses 1 through 4. And we're really uh, going to expound on this text in two directions. We're first going to visit the direction of justice, and then we're going to visit the direction of mission. Okay, that's going to be how we, how we tackle the text. We're going to think about justice, and then we're going to think about mission. Okay, so that's how we're going to break down the text. Let's go ahead and dive in. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, reads like this. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet, we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. Now, before we continue working through the text, I want to give us a little bit of background, a little bit of context. Probably not as much as most weeks, but nonetheless some. First uh, Timothy, right? If you're familiar with the church, you probably know that this book was written by the Apostle Paul. I mean, one of the greatest missionaries of all time, right? Wrote three-fourths of the New Testament, something like that. And unlike a lot of Paul's other works, though, this was not written to a whole congregation of people. Rather, it's written to one specific person, and that person's name is Timothy. Timothy was one of Paul's most trusted disciples. He was a young brother. He was believed to be half Hebrew. Most people believe he was half Hebrew ethnically and half maybe like Hellenistic Jew or maybe Greek or Roman of some kind. Uh, but one of the most important things you need to know about Timothy is that Paul even at a young age, left him in charge of the church in the city of Ephesus. And that's a big deal because that was actually one of the major churches in that region, primarily because it was in Ephesus, one of the major cities in that region during this time. And so 1 Timothy is actually like a letter of guidance uh, from Paul to Timothy, honestly like guiding him through what it meant as a young man to be leading such a, a, a powerhouse, large church during that time. Uh, specifically, he touches on the areas of, of corporate worship, everybody worshiping together, and he also talks a little bit about fending off um, false teaching. Uh, as a result, because of all this context, there are several different aspects of the Christian life within that corporate worship within that false teaching that Paul does touch on a little bit and how we worship all the different things packed into this short book. It's really neat. Now, where we are in chapter two, though, Paul begins to tell Timothy how he wants uh, public prayer to be done in the context of worship. Okay, so that's kind of where we are in the book. But in talking about that, he says something that seems small but actually has huge implications for us, especially as we think about our topics today, godliness, politics, unity. They can really, once we start teasing them out, they, they play a huge part in how we see these topics, okay? In verse 1, Paul encourages Timothy to make sure the entire church 
Hear me, the entire church prays for everyone, including kings and those in authority. And this is important, friends, okay? Because in the church of God, hear me, there is no distinction between king and servant. In fact, we've talked, the last time I spoke with you, Sean mentions it, uh, has mentioned it in his sermons as well. In the kingdom, the last is first. So, so all people, whether they're kings or servants, have dignity from God, being made in the image of God that gives us equality before God and makes each and every one of us worthy of the prayers of the person next to you. That means if you've ever been in one of those situations where you feel like you are so small that you don't deserve prayer, I want to lovingly tell you, you're wrong. Because God's image, what you have been made in, is actually the means by which you gain worth before God to receive prayer from everyone around you that's praying for you. Yet, we also see in this text, not everyone is prayed for in the same way. When we finish up verse 2, it says that in praying for those who are in authority, one of the purposes is so that we can live tranquil, peaceful lives. That that's one of the purposes. How, how does that work? What does praying for in a how, I should say, how does praying for an authority figure lead to our lives being preserved or our lives being tranquil or our lives being peace-filled? Well, it's simple. Officials, government officials, in our case, elected officials, govern over our earthly lives. It's literally that simple. It's literally that simple. Government officials' actions, ideas, thoughts lead to either just or unjust actions that help or harm us and others that are around us. This leads me to the first subject that, that I want us to look into today, which is justice. When we approach this topic, we have to think about justice because civic, political life, political choices are linked to something that we as Christians uh, should be passionate about, and that is justice. Political decision-making, whether it's in the first century Greco-Roman world, whether it's in 21st century Austin, still has really the basic fundamental purpose, still has the same basic fundamental purpose, which is uh, to make just decisions for the sake of the people you govern. You think about like Genesis 9, right? In Genesis 9, God institutes really some of the first like laws where like a life taken is, requires the life of the person that took that life. Right, right, that basic form of government, even there in its like infancy, is meant to kind of create just action in the world. You think about, and if that's done in a godly way, you think about something like 2 Samuel 8.15, where it says King David reigns over the people of Israel administering what? Justice. Right? The, the, this idea of government, this idea of, of politi the political world and policies, laws, are there, are here uh, in God's design to, to rule and reign with justice. Now, that, that doesn't always happen like that. We know that. We live in a political world that's broken, and as a result, we can feel the weight of that. But that's what's happening in politics. That's why, as Christians, we vote. That's why we can't shy away from civic life, in fact. That's why I think it, it's critical for Christians to, to cast our vote. It might be even more critical now because when you think about like Timothy and Paul, they didn't have no opportunity to cast their vote for anybody. They had to pray for the person in leadership because all they could do was pray and hope the person was going to be a wise, compassionate, just uh, governor, ruler. At least now we have the ability to cast our vote for the person we think is going to be the most just, compassionate, wise ruler, right? And here, it's actually right here that we begin to see why these issues can actually bring division. 
not just with those outside of the church, but even with those inside the community of faith, because these issues, these choices are about justice. And here's the thing, justified people care about justice. Justified people care about justice, at least we should. When we were alienated from God and our sins separated us from him, it was the God of the universe that acted actually in justice by giving his only son to pay the price for our sin that we could not afford to pay with our own life. The gospel, as much as we adore the grace and mercy that's found in the gospel, is actually a cheap and hollow gospel if we don't understand the justice of it. When God saw his children separated from him because of our own actions, because of our own sin, he didn't despise justice. He loved justice and he loved us at the same time. He loved both us and justice enough to go to the cross to secure justice and to still forgive us. Right? The gospel is intimately is the intimate relationship between what grace and justice look like just converging at one beautiful moment at the cross. When we see the cost of sin and injustice, what the cost of sin and injustice is to the king. And what injustice and sin causes in our lives as human beings, and our hearts are captured by the grace of Jesus, justice becomes a huge priority. We want to see justice and to live out justice for the sake of ourselves and for the sake of those around us, for the sake of God's glory. Justified people care about justice. So if you're passionate about specific political policies or political subjects, hear me, that's okay. That's actually probably good. You should be. Because that political subject, that policy, is working toward what we hope to be a just ruling over the people of our country. And justified people, again, care about justice. But here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing. In the world of politics especially modern 21st century politics, you and I, there is no biblical guide on how to vote, meaning Democrats and Republicans didn't exist in first century Jerusalem, in the first century Rome, right? And a lot of the political issues, the details of the political issues we see today, they didn't exist in the first century. You know what I mean? Like making political decisions now and I want to be sensitive here, but, but oftentimes it's more the work of wisdom and less the work of theology. Now, before you go crazy, 100% theology is a huge part of how we make political decisions. But there's two things that stop our political life from being strictly theological. Okay, the first is that there's not always exact theology for the little details we're working through as a modern nation. Okay, you've heard me say this before, I will say it again, I stand by this, that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. Okay, its principles apply to our lives today, but the exact details of our lives are often not found in the pages of Scripture. Hear me, there are godly principles that we are called to apply to every part of our life, even today, okay? And there's principles in Scripture that cover every single part of our life. Hear me, wherever you are, whatever the circumstances are, I mean, the the Scriptures speak to us. God speaks to us through the Scriptures. But the Word was also written 2,000 years ago, the New Testament. The Old Testament was written like 3,000, 4,000 years ago. And so there's not always a one-to-one 
correlation in the exact circumstances of that ancient world to our modern world. As a result, and this is the second reason voting can strictly be theological, is that those principles are applied in both political parties. And I know that some of you are like throwing your arms in the air like this guy, but, but don't turn the TV off yet, right? Don't turn the video off yet. Please, just stick with me. It's true. Both political parties have applied, whether intentionally or unintentionally, have applied godly biblical principles in different places in their platform. And both have policies that also work directly opposite or are opposed to godly principles, both of them. As a result, political choices often require, hear me, they require wisdom. Political choices that are, are being made in an effort to increase and see wisdom in our world, I mean, to see justice in our world, require wisdom, meaning they aren't always going to be black and white. There are absolutely some black and white issues that we can all look at and, and, and call a spade a spade or whatever, right? Like, like I pray that all of you I pray that all of us can see that no matter the circumstances of abortion, Scripture is clear that God knows us in our mother's womb. He sees us in the earliest days of our existence. And at the end of the day, abortion is the taking of a life. I'm praying that all Christians can look at that and affirm that and go, that, that's true. At the same time, I pray you see that the disproportionate killing of unarmed black people in, by the police in this country is likewise fundamentally wrong. And I hope both of those things mourn our hearts. I hope they both grieve our hearts as followers of Jesus. Both of those things exist and both of them are wrong. They exist at the same time and both of them are just black and white. Yet the majority of the other political decisions that we have to make will be based on wisdom to understand how biblical, godly principles apply to your community's uh, needs, right? And not just you or, or your neighborhood or the, the people that look like you or from your, son, your same socioeconomic background, but, but your city, your district, that whole collective group. It requires wisdom. I love the way he's a man named Andy uh, Nacelli. He's a Christian author. He's based in Washington, D.C. And I love the way he says this. He says, political judgments depend on figuring out how to apply our biblical and ethical prin principles to the vast and complex set of circumstances that surround every political decision. They account for social dynamics, legal precedents, political feasibility, historical factors, economic projections, ethnic tensions, criminal justice considerations, and so much more. That type of wisdom, hear me, that type of wisdom, friends, should be extremely difficult. It should be extremely hard. It should weigh on our minds and cause us some measure of heartache and, 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 and give us pause in some way about whether we're making the right decision, okay? Here, I want to say this lovingly, but if voting is easy for you, whether you've done it already, already, whether you plan on doing it Tuesday, if voting is easy for you, if you think one political party has everything so figured out that you can just go and run down that political party, friend, I want to lovingly challenge you and question whether you have exchanged partisan thinking and godly wisdom. I want, I want to just pose the question of 
and encourage you to ask yourself whether you have exchanged partisan thinking with godly wisdom. Because this should be hard. Again, it should cause us some heartache. And as a result, it should draw compassion from us to others. Uh, when you see someone else in your family, in your church, in your friend group, who is a Christian, know that they are passionate about justice along with you. They're also weighing out how to apply godly wisdom to, to gospel principles uh, and bringing their own circumstances, experiences, uh, feelings into the, the, the decision-making process and trying to figure out how to do it uh, in a way that glorifies God in an environment where it can feel almost impossible to leave a voting booth and feel like you did something good that day. And that doesn't mean there's not room for disagreement. Again, there are some issues that we as Christians can and should advocate for and encourage others to believe. But if you're not confident enough to look at a person and say, if you don't believe X, you can't be a follower of Jesus, then you probably shouldn't be using your time with that person to argue about that point. It's not something that keeps them from Jesus. Have grace because there's undoubtedly an area in your life, in your wisdom, in your political decision-making that is misapplied as well. And Jesus is going to have grace with you, so you should have grace with others. This type of attitude requires the gospel. It requires you to know that it's Jesus' judgment of you and your opinions and your wisdom and your political decision-making that actually counts. Without it, without deeply knowing that you have been forgiven and justified by the gospel, this type of living is totally left field. You're left. Um, And as a result, when it's that left field, when it's that foreign to us, we can easily end up feeling like our political beliefs Our political opinions have to be the things that justify us. They have to be the things that prove our wisdom, our worth, our righteousness. If your political belief, and I want to say this gently, but but I I want to say it because I love you, okay? If your political belief, being right, is the thing that justifies you in your political conversations, In that moment, my brother, my sister, you are not building your life on the truth of the gospel. You're building your life on ideas that will fade away as assuredly as this country will eventually fade away. Greece fell, Rome fell, Nazi Germany fell, and one day the United States of America will fall. And that day, there will only be one truth that remains unshakable. And that will be the truth that the Son of God, who was sent from heaven, came to seek and save the lost, to die on the cross in order to justify sinners on earth so that we can be made whole in him. That'll be the only truth that lasts. I love the way Jonathan Lehman, he's a political theologian and writer for the Christian literature company Nine Mark, says it. He says, are you convinced about your own political opinions? If so, maybe that's because you were walking in the spirit, you love your neighbor as yourself, and you have rightly formed judgments about the issues of the day. Then again, it also might be because you were following the self-justifying script of every other political party, of every other tribe and nation throughout the history of the world. Living out civic life, friends, is about justice. And so we should be seeking God about it. We should be 
seeking his wisdom and asking the spirit to give us wisdom about what that means and what that looks like in terms of our communities. It is about justice, but it's about both the justice we see in our world and the justice we have and cling to in our King, King Jesus. It's about justice. Justice has to be the motivation we have in how we approach voting, but it also has to be the motivation we have in maintaining unity in our relationships, regardless of someone's political position. So it's about justice. But it's also about something else, okay? It's also about what we're called to in light of that justice. What we're called to in light of that justice. It's about mission. Take a look at chapter two, verses three and four. In in verse three, it says, this is good and it pleases God our savior who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Take a look at what the ultimate aim of these prayers are for. The ultimate aim of praying for kings and authorities so that we can have these tranquil, peaceful lives is that we can, is for the sake of people coming to know Jesus. It's for the sake of advancing our mission in spreading God's kingdom. That's the ultimate way we serve those around us. Our political choices, our voting, politics in general, yes, the aim is to try to see justice uh, in the world some way, but the ultimate way we as Christians serve the world is not by casting a vote, but rather by, by, by sharing and caring spiritually in advancing the gospel and sharing the truth that Jesus makes us whole. When we're able to see politics as a means by which our mission of advancing the gospel is moved forward, then we're seeing government in the same way I believe the early apostles did. They knew that there would be different opinions about this and about that in churches and in groups, but look at everything that the New Testament talks about. In the majority of the New Testament, it's all about growing in our faith, growing and following Jesus, and how to invite others in doing that very same thing, in following that Jesus as well. It didn't mean that there would be harmony in our politics, but it did mean that there would be harmony in our mission. I'm going to say that again. The New Testament writers knew that there may not have been harmony in our politics as a church, but there would be harmony in our mission as a church. Just take a look at Jesus' own disciples. Matthew, the tax collector, walking side by side with Simon the Zealot. Matthew, as a tax collector, would have worked hand in hand with the Roman government to do his job. He probably would have had a good relationship with them. They probably would have had a good relationship with him. No harm, no foul in terms of the Romans occupying Israel. On the other side, Simon the Zealot, the Zealot, the Zealots were like almost like a political party that, that deeply desired to overthrow the Roman government, that decidedly knew there's no way for us to coexist with them. They have to go, and man, we kind of hope that they get destroyed off the face of the earth. Yet, the scriptures give no indication that these two would have changed their political persuasions as soon as they came to Jesus, or if at all, ever in following Jesus. They may have softened them, right? But but the reality was the thing that united them together was never going to be that their political decisions were the same. What was going to unite them together was that they were following the person who was going to make each of them whole, no matter what their political positions were in the first place. Mission unites us because it reminds us that our true hope lies in Jesus. The only lasting hope we have is the, only, is, is the, the truth that the only one who knew what true justice is 
gave himself on the cross in grace so that we who were rebels, who were unjustified, who had worked against the goodness and the good law of God can be reconciled to him. That's our hope. Simon and Matthew may have had two completely different political views about the position of Rome, but they had one single view on who the savior of the world was and what that meant for them and what that meant for the people around them. Mission reminds us that Jesus is our only hope. The good that comes from either one of these candidates in terms of the presidential election, at best, is a temporary good, no matter how you break it down. It will either be undone by another political opponent in the next election cycle or the one before that, or time will inevitably catch up to it, as eventually, potentially years down the line. America fades away into the past like other great empires. And on that day, it will still be the message, life, forgiveness, and glory of Jesus that remains forever. That's the good news that never changes. That's the good that the gates of hell itself cannot prevail against. That's what we as Christians, you and me, my brother, my sister, that's what we've placed our hope in. That Jesus. And so, friends, how do we fight against division during this season? How do we guard our hearts from the political volatility that seems to surround us? Uh, we focus on justice, friends. We focus on mission. We allow these two things to point our hearts back toward the king, back toward justice, which means it's going to force us to reckon with his grace, back toward mission, which is going to force us to, to look at the unity we're called to have with our brothers and sisters and seeing people's true value. But it's in this focus, it's in this Jesus that we are liberated from the pressure that comes with placing our hope in this election. It's not going to take one sitting. It's going to take practice rep after practice rep. You know, like it, it's going to take offering grace after offering grace. It's going to take remembering the gospel after remembering the gospel. It's going to take confessing to others that justice and mission are not the things that are on my mind right now, right? Politics and current events are the things that are most on my mind right now. They're, they're the top priority for me. And experiencing in that moment the grace of Jesus through your brothers and sisters embracing you. Uh, remembering justice in mission as a consequence of feeling that grace, right? But when we begin to step out and, and live this way with like the, the wind of the gospel at our back and, and the opportunities, the decisions to choose um, grace and truth and love in front of us, we grow. We grow in placing our hope in the unshakable truth that, that we are Jesus's and Jesus is ours, Okay. And so before we go today, I, I want to give you some practical things. We're done, but I want to give you some practical things uh, to work out and to do this week as we approach Tuesday's election. Um, and the first is that I want to encourage us to fast and to pray on Tuesday. I don't know what you're going to fast. It could be food. It could be TV, social media. It could be CNN or Fox News or whatever you watch. Whatever it is, set aside that time and seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Pray for your own heart. Pray for... Uh, our country. Pray for the uh, present, whoever that's going to be. Uh, pray that that person would have wisdom and that you, that Jesus would give them grace and mercy to lead well. 
um, pray for uh, that. I also want to secondly recommend a couple of resources to help our thinking. This is not a this year thing. Four years from now, we may be in the exact same position. So we want to be thinking about this. It's not in response to this election. This is how God calls us to live out our political life as followers of Jesus in, t- in general. Uh, so the first book is called How the Nations Rage. It's by Jonathan Lehman. Um, we mentioned him a little earlier. Great book, and it'll help guide you thinking about politics and their secondary position to God's kingdom and justice and mission. Uh, the second is an abridged version, actually, of the same book. Uh, it's called How Can I Love Church Members with Different Politics. It's also by Jonathan Lehman and also by Andy Nassali, who we mentioned a little earlier as well. And, and these two are great resources. Jonathan Lehman is a political theologian. He works at a church called Capitol Hill Baptist Church that's six blocks away from the U.S. Capitol. So, I mean, just a great resource. I want to encourage you guys to look into those. If you don't have the resources to get them, let me know. I, I Let us know. Hit the connect link. I would love to make sure we get you, uh, we can order the book for you, all that good stuff. Okay. And so do those two things. Start engaging some resources to help guide your thinking, but also let's pray for our country. Let's pray for uh, over our brothers and sisters. Pray over the, the future president this upcoming Tuesday in fasting and praying, um, however you decide to do that. Now, to finish up today, uh, I want to invite us to do something that unites us together in communion, thinking uh, both about the mission of Jesus and about the justice of the cross. Uh, In communion, we are given the opportunity to focus our hearts back on the sacrifice of Jesus, his work on the cross, the justice and mercy of the cross, and what it means for us. If you're a member of Refuge's launch team, of our launch team here, you should have received uh, last month a container with Uh, communion elements, kind of the old school package, kind of like this. Um, Please use those. If you're not a part of Refuge's launch team, uh, I want to encourage you to use whatever you have. Uh, It it doesn't have to be this type of little thing. It could be Kool-Aid and Wonder Bread. You know, like it's whatever you have. Uh, Feel free to join us right now taking communion as we remember uh, the sacrifice of Jesus. Additionally, if you're interested in joining our launch team or you just want to learn more about that again, you can hit the connect link. Let us know. We'd love to get you some information. But lastly, if you're not a follower of Jesus, okay, I want to encourage you to let this moment pass you by, okay? This is a moment where for the followers of Jesus, we remember the great sacrifice uh, made for us uh, by God so that we could find true justice in the midst of grace and mercy shown to us by God. Uh, If you'd like to know more about that Jesus, more about that grace, again, I want to encourage you to go to the Connect link. Let us know you want to learn more about him. I would love to get some information. I would love to talk to you personally, just chat with you about who this Jesus is uh, and what he desires for you. And so with that being said, let's go ahead and prepare our hearts for communion. We're going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. It starts like this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord, took, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You would take the bread, the cracker from the top now. Verse 25, he continues, In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let's pray and prepare our hearts for worship. Father, thank you so much for 
your grace, your grace that introduces us to what true justice means and a grace that redeems us and saves us and bring us, brings us not just into a forgiven life, but a purpose-filled life in the mission that you've given us. God, allow our hearts to center in this season, this political season, focused on your justice and on your mission. Let our hearts be considerate of the gospel and what it means in our lives. Let our hearts be considerate of justice and how you desire that to be worked out in the world. Let us consider the reality that your mission to seek and save the lost and establish your kingdom in the hearts of people is the ultimate goal for us as your followers. And don't let us be deceived into placing our hope into this political season, but rather fighting to maintain hope in you, but more than that, to invite others into that same hope with us. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 